The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. Welcome to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. Our show is airing from Florida's Gulf Coast, and it's a cold day here in Florida. You wouldn't think it's Florida so cold. Yeah, you know, I have to admit I'm concerned most of all about all you all who live in cold weather areas, the people who live in the cities, (laughs) the suburbs, and out in the country. Take care with your dogs and cats on these cold winter days of snow, sleet, and freezing temperatures. Keep them warm, keep them dry, and keep them inside. Yeah, they don't, they're not familiar with this kind of uh, weather either. Absolutely not. You know, it's kind of funny because this is the time of the year that I always look forward to the cold weather. I always look forward to being in New York City. That's where I'm from. Uh, right around the New York City area. It's my hometown, but really, especially, I feel nostalgic because this is the time for the glorious Westminster Kennel Club dog show that is not taking place next week. Right. Mm -hmm. It's always the second. Usually, I should say, most of the time, it's the second Monday and Tuesday of February. Usually same Valentine's Day. Right, around Valentine's Day. And now it's going to be taking place outside a historic property in in Tarrytown, New York. So hopefully, since I will have the vaccine by then, I'm halfway done. Uh, hopefully that I'll be able to go and enjoy the show. But once again, then again, because not everyone is expecting to have the vaccine by then, they might be limiting a spectators as well as media people. Oh, the restrictions will be just as much as if the vaccines haven't been administered. Sure. Yet. I mean, you know that. Yeah, of course. So and I think so. You know, I don't want to miss my very long streak. Um, it's something that always reminds yeah. me of tradition, family years? tradition. I'm not going to tell you, but it's been many, many, many years. More than 10. More than 20. More than 20. More than 20 years. More 20 than 30. Plus. Many, many <laughs> years. And, and really why I love the dog show so much. It's something I always did with my father. So uh, who also mm-hmm. was born in June and passed away in June. Mm. So it'll be a very bittersweet uh, Mm. memory for me this year if I go. Okay, so let's kick off the show with the, as you know, weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, Dr. Maseo Miyazaki. How do you say that? Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Dr. Maseo Miyazaki of the Iwate University is joining us to talk about the added benefits of catnips and silver vine. So you cat lovers are going to love that. You're not going to believe the extra benefits other than getting your cat. Wow, I've never heard of silver vine before. That's interesting. You're going to learn more about it. Three in segment three, Dr. Kevin Tyler, editor in chief, virulence and adjunct professor at King Abdulaziz University. And Dr. Dr. Cock Van Osterhout and Dr. Cock Van Osterhout, <laughs> professor of evolutionary genetics at the University of East Anglia, discuss the possibility of developing a COVID vaccine for animals. I think that's going to be an interesting segment, maybe a little scientific, but very interesting. Well, in two in this portion of the show, I just about celebrity pet buzz. 
And Dr. Flex opines. That's, you. That's me. You opine. I opine. In Flex Facts. About Flex Facts. And in segment one, according to new research, the first people to settle in the Americas likely brought their own canine companions with them. And joining us today to talk about the peopling of Americas and the origins of dogs is Dr. Angela Perry, School of History, Classics and Archaeology, Newcastle University. Dr. Perry, thanks for joining the Pet Buzz today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So what advances in the isolation and sequencing of ancient DNA reveal about the population's histories of both people and dogs? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, since DNA has really come along and been used in archaeology in kind of the last 10, 15 years, what the DNA has shown between the relationship with humans and dogs really is that very simple message where people go, dogs go. Um, so we see similarities in the, the growth of populations, um, the split of populations, and the movement of populations of both humans and their dogs. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. So when comparing population uh, genetic results of humans and dogs from Siberia, and I, well, hopefully I say this right, Benrigia? Beringia. It's Beringia. not, it's not, <laughs> doesn't roll right off the tongue. Beringia. Beringia doesn't exist now. Um, Beringia is essentially a land bridge that freezes over in times of, of glacial periods, okay. right? So it's, it's frozen over multiple times um, in, in the past millions of years. And this just happened to be one of those times where it freezes over. And when it does, that means people and animals can move between Siberia and the Americas. Yeah, so, so when you compared, what did you find out when you did Berangia, Siberia, and North America? What did the research reveal? Well, about two years ago, we had done a paper on kind of the, the evolutionary history of dogs in the Americas. We wanted to know um, when did dogs come to the Americas and are any of our dogs now kind of related to these ancient Native American dogs? Wait, we have those questions, but a little later after you answer this uh, one. Of course, <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to kind of look at, we knew the people had come over from Beringia and Siberia region, um, the ancestors of Native Americans had come over from that area and that they had essentially brought their dogs at some point. We didn't really know when. But what our recent research showed is that the splits in human populations that we know about from the kind of glacial period in Siberia and across Beringia, those, those splits we see in human populations eventually leading to the ancestors of Native Americans were spot on for the splits that we were seeing in ancient populations of American, Siberian, and Beringian dogs. So again, where humans go, dogs go. They were wolves, I think, primarily, weren't they? We know that the ancestor of all dogs is a gray wolf population. But what we've just recently figured out is that we believe that that wolf population is actually extinct, no longer exists, and we have yet to find it. So all of the wolves that we have uh, attempted to match to dogs as the kind of stock population that gave rise to dogs, none of them match. Um, so we're still really on the hunt for where is that source population. And now we believe we'll probably find it somewhere in Siberia. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so what roles were those domesticated wolves playing within the human society then? God, you're asking all the good questions. I know. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I would say I used to be a real strong proponent of um, that hunting must have been 
one of the first uses of dogs. But now that um, we're starting to look towards Siberia and the Beringian area, um, I, I have to believe that the first use of dogs must have been sledding and pulling transport um, dogs across these large kind of Arctic environments, um, pulling people essentially into the Americas. So when did the first people come here? Yeah. I would say a comfortable time period that most people would would kind of agree to is somewhere around 15,000 years ago, that the first Native American ancestors moved into the Americas with their dogs, and from there moved very rapidly across far northern into Canada and eventually made their way into Greenland and then all the way across the United States and down into South America. So I'm just curious, What's the nearest genetic relative of uh, those dogs 15,000 years ago today? (laughs) Well, I do get a lot of questions about um, ancient breeds and um, people being very interested in, you know, having a dog that has some kind of old lineage. And um, (laughs) we, we, we know that the ancient dogs that first came with Native Americans had largely been wiped out. Um, But what we do know is that Arctic dogs, such as Huskies, Malamutes, Greenland sledge dogs, do have a fairly ancient signature that they were brought with a migration of Arctic peoples sometime around a thousand years ago. So really, if you want an ancient American dog, um, your best bet is to get yourself, you know, a husky. Well, Dr. Perry, thank you so much for joining us today. We really enjoyed talking to you. Yes, we did. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Well, everyone, that was Dr. Angela Perry from Newcastle University discussing the people of the Americas and the domestication of their dogs. Up next, Celebrity Pet Buzz and Flex Facts. You want to stay tuned. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. (laughs) I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm pet Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian, Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, y'all, let's kick off this segment with Celebrity Pet Knows. You know, the big game is coming up on Sunday, okay? But before the big game, first we have the Puppy Bowl. And the, this year, Dr. Fleck, the Puppy Bowl is going to be super cool because there's a new pet dynamic duo in town, and it ain't going to be us. I know, and it's really kind of exciting to see who the duo is. Well, let me finish with my dish. hosting it. Well, anyway, I can't wait for you Martha to tell Stewart and Snoop Dogg there it is. are set to host the Puppy Bowl, which I think is going to be so key. The Puppy Bowl is an annual event for you, those of you who don't know that takes place every Super Bowl Sunday and mimics the huge sporting event. It features puppies in uniforms playing a game of football as part of Team Rough or Team Fluff. While they host, Martha and Snoop will be able to add their commentary to the action happening in the sponsored field. That field has more sponsors than really the Super Bowl, other than the commercials, mm-hmm. which is totally cool. The programming this year will feature special snacks and drinks that Martha and Snoop will serve up this year. The Puppy Bowl will air on Animal Planet on February 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It'll also be available for streaming on the Discovery Plus platform for those who have subscriptions or want to watch it after the live premiere. So prior to the Puppy Bowl, Martha and Snoop are going to throw down and tailgate leading up to the event. It seems that Bill Gore got the inside scoop. They reported that uh, Martha's two French bulldogs and two chows and Snoop's two French bulldogs will be in attendance. You know, that's going to be so much fun. It's going to be super it's, cool. It's a great buildup for the football game. Yeah, actually, it will be. So let's hit it up with uh, Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers. I want the truth. It's going to take long. You got the time. What are we going to talk about today? Restraining your dog in the veterinary office and in the exam room. Okay, dog and or dog and cat. Dog and cats. Your okay. Pet. So let's start with cats. So when I'm going into the vet's office, how should I restrain? Just into into the building. How should I restrain my cat? First of all, please bring your cat in a housing unit, a carrier of some sort. There's a lot of different carriers, and please don't put a 20 pound cat in a small container where. It's larger than the container. Right. And I think the other thing would be a good thing to tell people is if you have a Sherpa bag or a box, cats like boxes. They'll naturally jump in boxes. So it might be a good idea to practice a few days in advance so the cat's not freaked out on his first trip in the carrier, in the car, traveling away. I kind of think you're tripping because the cats that come into my office, <laughs> they tripping. simply don't like to jump into a box, okay, a carrier box. Because your cats are fat. Your practice <laughs> cats are fat. Okay. Now let's talk about the exam room. Now, so for me, it's a little different because I had a show cat. He's very docile on the table. He's used to being handled. But, you know, I think it would be a good idea if you put your cat on a harness. Absolutely. I mean, it's not a great idea it's to a, get a That's a wonderful idea. If everybody had a harness for their cat, and many of my clients do have harnesses for their I cats. I think that's a great idea. So if you do have a harness on, it really is helpful because otherwise they have to be scruffed. Sure, of course. Okay, so now let's move forward with dogs because I think dogs, dogs is an interesting yes. thing. So I guess when you're jumping out of the car, let's talk about how you should restrain your dog. 
Well, first of all, if you're out of the car walking into the clinic, uh-huh. it should always be on a lead. I think that's a great point. And I like your harness idea, too. The harness works real nicely. So and the other thing I think that's really important is you want to have control over your dog because there's a lot of times you'll be sitting with your dog in a waiting room and there'll be other dogs there. And yeah. sometimes they might start barking and yapping and fighting. You know, people think they're home sometimes and and they have these what are these retractable um, oh, leashes, like, oh, leashes. Yeah. and then they'll be visiting with maybe another client in the room and they just let the, the, the leash run loose and and boom. The, the pets over in the other side of the or room. Or out the door. <laughs> or out the door when yeah. the door opens up as, sure. with another client coming in. Sure. Absolutely right. Yeah. So, okay. So, we we got some ideas. No retractables. Leash is a good idea. Always at controlling your dog. Okay. So, now let's talk about the exam room. Getting into the exam room. Okay. So, you're let's say you're bringing your dog into the exam room on a leash. Now, I'm curious. Obviously, who should pick the dog up? Well, let's let's think about this visionary coming into the room. So we come into the exam room, make sure you keep them on on the leash. Right. And bring them in. Many, many times my staff has to go out and help bring them in. Right. Because they're weary. Because they're weary. And maybe the pet owner just is afraid to handle them and thinks right. that they're handling sure. them too roughly. OK, and so yeah. they should come in in a carrier and your assistant like the cat. If it's a small, it if it's a small breed, then, yeah, carriers are nice. But if they're a larger, larger like dog, if you have a great Dane, you're not going to put a great Dane on the table. Well, Labrador Golden Retriever. Yeah, we put them on the table, not the great Dane, Dane. not the giant. No, because dog. we can contain it better for doing procedures when they're on the exam. Table. Sure. So anyway, coming into the exam room, of course, one can pretty well predict whether that that pet maybe is a little too leery of you and maybe would rather take a bite of you than think about have you treating them. Uh huh. And you have to also expect that if you're a client and you you're a little leery about how your your dog, your canine is going to react with with strange people. You really need need to let the staff and the veterinarian know, especially if it's your first time in, that they need to be a little cautious and maybe they need their assistance in starting sure. to move with them. And I think that's to be expected. I mean, if you have a really you know, I've seen you lift 70 pound, 80 pound mm-hmm. dogs. And really, I mean, you know you've been practicing a long time. You're not a spring chicken. So it's, I think it's a good idea to people need to be prepared. They might have to help put their dogs up on the table. Well, except for those, you know, 70 to 80 year old little gals that are about four foot nine foxes and, and, and they're great, great people and they love their pets, but the pet is, is like 80, 90 pounds and it's kind of pulling them away. So um, they, you know, they, right. They need to be, Okay. And then when the dog is on the table, you don't want him jumping off the table. You well, want first of all, for up. putting them on the table, yeah. you need to do that properly. And usually if it's a larger dog, then you need at least two staff members, a veterinarian and a staff member uh, putting the dog on the table. If you got a really big guy that's got a really big dog coming in, generally they help put him on the table too. Okay. Yeah, so I've I've seen that. I mean, you know, some of those big guys are so mush. They're mush puppets when it comes to. Oh my gosh! Yeah, some of them are. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when they get off the table, off the table, never jumping, never jump off the table. Always have assistance from the veterinarian or the veterinary staff off of the table, and make sure that the lead is on before that door is open to go out to the waiting room. Because they might just bounce out, and the door might be. And one of one of the things that we've done. Probably from past experiences, we always have one of the staff members that's in the exam room 
open up the door leading to the waiting room and make sure that the coast is clear. Yeah, that's a great idea. Anything else you want to mention? I think that's all the flex facts for the week. Great. Well, stick around next up, my I likey of the week. And then we go into why animals might need COVID shots. You're going to want to stick around for this because this is going to be real big. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. You know, you're listening to the best in pet talk radio. This is the pet buzz. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Okay. Well, you know, I love segment number three because I also get to talk about my I likey of the week. And that means I get to research some new pet products for y'all. And my I likey of the week features pet hair dryer balls. Hmm. So here's the deal. You may love your pets, but that doesn't mean you want their fur all over your clothes. I certainly don't, especially when I'm working in front of the camera. So Grand Fusion's housewares pet hair dryer balls are the fastest, easiest way to rid your clothes of annoying pet hair and dander. Just toss them in the dryer along with your wash clothes and they'll catch up all the fur along with the lint and hair while still being able to be gentle on your garments. Use two to three balls on small loads and four to five on large ones. So check out grandfusionhousewares.com and they're as low as $9.99. Wow. We're kind of obsessed with dryers and laundry. I know, I was just going to say, trying to keep our clothes with the good appearance. But you know what it is, really? It's because you're home more, right? You're not going out as much. Your pet hair, the pet hair is getting all over you. And now, since we're starting to see people getting the vaccine, we're starting to see people go to more restaurants. You know, they're kind of concerned about pet hair all over their clothes. Yeah, you don't know how offensive it is when you have some of the pet hair and other pet skin debris. On you, how that may affect other people. Well, it turns out our next guests are waiting on the phone and they're calling in from Europe. Okay. Czar's COV-2 has reported to be transmitted by humans to dogs, cats, tigers, lions, and most recently minks 
who in turn quickly spread the virus to other minks. Furthermore, experimental studies documented the susceptibility of different animal species to SARS-CoV-2, such as mice, golden hamsters, cats, ferrets, and non-human primates. But some of the biggest questions of late with various mutations of the virus popping up in the UK and South Africa is, will animals spread the virus to humans and will they need a vaccine to stop the spread? Absolutely. Major questions to be asked. Major questions to be asked. Okay. And maybe to answer those questions and joining us today to talk about this topic is Dr. Kevin Tyler, Editor-in-Chief, Virulence and Adjunct Professor at King Abdulaziz University and Professor Van Osterhout, Professor of Evolutionary Genetics, School of the Environmental Sciences at University of East Anglia. So Dr. Tyler and Professor Van Osterhout, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you. Thank you very much. So why do you think it's critical to understand the susceptibility of animals to SARS-CoV-2 to control the spread of the virus? Dr. Tyler, why don't you go first? Okay, well, as you point out, COVID arose as a zoonotic disease, which has jumped into what was a, a naive human population. And so we know that some animal species are clearly susceptible to it. I think the initial testing there came out as being quite a few of the animals in the market appeared to be positive. So in this case, it's essentially a person-to-person -person transmission. But nevertheless, some animals appear to be being infected from humans. Uh, and that's not surprising because it's so widespread in the world now. So I think once we begin to curtail the spread of the disease in the human population, then it will become much more evident uh, which of the animal populations remain infected. And that's when those animal uh, populations are, begin to be described as reservoirs of infection. Any comments, Dr. Vandenhuis? So I, I completely agree uh, with Kevin's assessments. The, um, the big evolutionary potential is now in the human population. So that is the first thing we need to really curtail as, as fast as possible. Once uh, we are on top of that, we need to very urgently assess other host species, potential host species, uh, because the, the virus will be able to continue to evolve also in, in those species, because it is a zoonosis. Of course, by jumping to the human host, it has uh, kind of acquired some adaptations uh, to make it human specific. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it can't infect other host species anymore. Uh, it might be less able to do so, but uh, of course, we don't know at this time. And for that reason, we, we certainly need to um, look into the animal reservoir once we are on top of this thing. I think one of the things with the mutation of the virus, I think more and more people are becoming cognizant and seeing that animals have contacted COVID. Actually, I think the first reported case of, of a death is a dog here from Long Island, New York. So people, I think, are, are wondering or worried, is it eventually necessary to provide animals and our pets with a vaccine to prevent the virus? I mean, do you foresee that coming in the future? So I think it is uh, something we certainly cannot exclude. Um, the, the potential of the virus to be a zoonotic disease is, uh, is clearly demonstrated uh, in its evolutionary history. 
Uh, so we cannot rule that out that also in the future this will play an important role. Dr. Tyler? Yeah, yeah so I mean, even within the human population, we're seeing substantial evolution and the, and the emergence of new highly transmissive variants. Now, obviously, one can imagine there are various reasons why you see more transmission. And one of those is that tighter levels, the amount of virus can be higher. If that holds into animals as well, then it will be more transmissive than it was, right? So, so it might be that one of the new strains is more able to transmit in, one of, in, in an animal species where it wasn't before. Or if current one isn't, then it might be that one to come in the future is. And so it's difficult to predict. And one thing you can be sure of is that when we do see an event, it probably will not be fully predicted. But certainly there is a good chance that animals will continue to play a role in, in COVID transmission in the future. Dr. Fleck, you had a question? Yeah, this will towards the last of our, our interview here. And this is what I'm sure our listening audience is really concerned about, prevention. So to prevent the spread of this virus, what standard precautions and measures should animal and pet owners as well as animal industry professionals take? Dr. Tyler, should we go with you on that? Sure. Um, so I think the main thing to remember at the moment, and there's no evidence of pets getting sick with COVID or of them passing it to their owners. And most animals, uh, most pets will be in bubbles with their owners anyway and won't have the opportunity to transmit an unnoticed infection from them. So I think there's, there's no need for pet owners to be concerned at the moment. For those people in the industry that run things like catteries, uh, for instance, and taking a variety of pets from multiple sources, it, it probably still makes good sense, as I presume they would always do, to, have, to employ good husbandry rules and to uh, adopt good hygiene me measures throughout and, and not to allow free intermixing of, of, the, of the animals from different sources to minimize the potential for transmission um, of, of any disease, not just, not just COVID. So I, I think that would just be standard good practice. But at the moment, there's no need to be alarmed, I would say. Doctor and Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your sharing your opinions about such an important topic and should make all of us feel more confident with people like you working that we will resolve this issue and we all can go back to a normal life. Hopefully soon. <laughs> we, we can only Absolutely. hope so. Well, you know, I agree. I think this was a really, it's, it was a, a little bit more scientific, but it was a very good interview. It was very thought-provoking about the possibility of eventually vaccinating a COVID vaccine. And I think I think they will, because it's not only pets, it's also financial. It's also an industry mm -hmm. that's going to be lobbying for that eventually and probably eventually fund research for it. So I just want to remind you that we were talking to Dr. Kevin Tyler, editor-in-chief of Vir Virulence. Mm -hmm. Did I say it right? Virulence mm -hmm. and uh, adjunct professor at King Abdulaziz University and Dr. Kok Van Oosterhout, Professor of Evolutionary Genetics at University of East Anglia about why a COVID vaccine might need to be developed for animals. Mm -hmm. So up next, Global Pet News, then Dr. Angela Perry discussing the peopling of America and the origins and domestication of their dogs. So stay tuned for that. You don't want to miss that.
You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, visit www.epi-pet.com. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to say it all the time. We're urban. Suburban. And and country. country. So I'm going to have a little fun. Now, this is a little satire. I have to preface this segment by saying this because I read this and I was laughing hysterically. So here at the Pet Buzz, we want you to know that occasionally we make fun of a little bit of everyone, a little bit in the political arena. And I think that's okay. You know what I mean, Dr. Fleck? I think I hope so. Yeah. So this actually came from the Boris, the Borowitz report. So first, let me warn you, like I said, it's pure satire from The New Yorker. And I thought this was really funny in what is being hailed as an amazing act of canine heroism. This is what the article said. President Joe Biden's two German shepherds have dug up Donald J. Trump's tax returns on the south lawn of the White House. It's all pure fun, Dr. Fleck. I see your face. It's getting a little worrisome. Well, according to sources, shortly after president, the new president led champion major, the new German shepherds who are now living at 1600, went out to play in the snow. They started sniffing on a specific patch of lawn. Okay. Within minutes, the two White House pooches had unearthed 20 years worth of Trump's financial of federal tax returns, which they eagerly deposited on the Oval Office carpet. Outrageous. How dare he say such blasphemy? I've got to do something. Bob, there's nothing you can do. Well, I guess I'll just have to develop a sense of humor. Mm. I think it was funny. So although it was unclear how actually the returns came to be buried at the White House ground at Trump's home. In Palm Beach, the former president was overheard screaming at his children. So back at the White House, Biden had little to say about had little to say about Champ and Major's adventures other than good boys. Once again, this is pure satire and just a little fun. We have our own Saturday Saturday (laughs) Night Live SNL. Was it Humphrey who said, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog? (laughs) 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 So let's just end it right there. If you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. So let's bring on our next guest. And cat lovers, you're going to love this. Well, it seems that catnip does not only get your cat high, but has some other beneficial effects. So joining us today is veterinarian Dr. Miyazaki from the Department of Biology, Chemistry and Food Sciences. Faculty of Agriculture at Iwate University. 
He is here to discuss the direct link between plants and their protective effects on cats. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited that you're here because so many of us love our cats and it's not uncommon that we give them catnip toys. But it's really interesting. Many of us have never heard of silver vine. So are silver vine and catnip similar? Okay. Catnip is a herb, a family of mint. Silver vine is a tree, a family of kiwi fruit, endemic to Japan and China. Catnip and silver vine are completely different plant species, but have same activity for inducing the characteristic response to cat. This is because these two plants emit similar chemical, nepetalactone from catnip and nepetalactone from silver vine. Okay, so catnip's a plant, silver vine's a tree, but both the plant and the tree have other properties that you found when you did the study. What prompted you to do this study? As you know, the catnip silver vine response in cat is very popular and very famous behavior in most pet owners over the world. In Japan, the first report of silver vine responses was described by a, Jap by a Japanese botanist in 76 and an ukiyo-e, a type of traditional painting drawn in 1856, depict a folk story concerning battle between cats and mice. In this story, mice use silver vine as a weapon to intoxicate cats. However, nobody knows why only fairies respond to the plant and what is the biological significance of the responsive behavior. So yeah, I mean, I was just curious. I mean, I, I you know, when I'm doing the research for the subject, one of the things I found was really interesting was that um, that particular depiction of these mice kind of ward off the cats by like putting silver vine in front of them. So they kind of, you know, won the battle. I mean, it's very famous. We don't really know a lot about silver vine. So tell us how you conducted this study. How did you know that there were other beneficial protective properties uh, for cats in silver vine? We firstly tested bioactivity of some compound reported in 60 years ago. Mm -hmm. Then we found that silver vine contained an identified compound with strong bioactivity. Thus, we purified bacterial compound from organic solvent extract of silver vine leaves and finally identified nepetalactone, which is missed in previous study. We confirmed a potent bioactivity of nepetalactone in laboratory cats, feral cats, and also other feral species, Jaga, Amu Leopard, and Siberian Rinks in our study. So using a chemically synthesized nepetalactone, we examined neural mechanism activated by nepetalactone and biological significance of the response in cats. What about hallucinogenic effects? It's like they're on drugs. Yeah, they get crazy. Yes. They get, yeah. Yes. So however, considering the response has been conserved in fertile species over 10 million years, we believe that the response other, has other important benefit more than only getting euphoria. So we continue the research and based on this hypothesis, finally, we found that nepetalactone has a mosquito repellent activity. Rubbing behavior against plant is a functional response to transfer nepetalactone from plant to the body and mosquito avoided cat with nepetalactone. Well, Dr. Miyazaki, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your input. Something new for our listeners. 
You are welcome. So everyone, that was Dr. Mizaki from the Department of Biological Chemistry and Food Science Faculty of Agriculture at Iwatu University. He was here discussing the direct link between plants and their protective effects on cats. So go get yourself some catnip and some catnip toys because it has it's basically getting more bang for your buck, knowing that catnip has that protective Quality. I want some silver vine. You want some silver? Yeah, you can have catnip too. Okay. Well, to learn more about this study, visit advances.sciencemag.org. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Well, it's always too soon to wrap the show, isn't it, Dr. Flack? It really is. It's gone. I know. It's gone. But before we uh, before we go, we want to give you a preview of next week's show. So next week, we're talking about the dirtiest cities in America and how they affect your dogs and your wallet because you got to pay for grooming. And also how the Miami Heat is using COVID-19 sniffing dogs to bring people back into the stadium. Something I recommended way back in February and March. Well, we also had talked about the medical detection dogs in the UK and what they're doing, and they're doing a fantastic job. They were the first people who were doing it. University of Pennsylvania uh, has been doing, has been training dogs. So we're going to see a lot more of this. I wonder, I wonder if those new robot dogs are going to be able to do no, it. No, they can do things like dig holes and plant and pick For up clothes. For $43,000. No, there's another dog. There's oh. another dog. That's the II robot dog. Yeah. But there is the Boston robot dog that costs 75000 oh. And it opens the refrigerator. It plays fetch with you. It does all sorts of stuff. Anyway, okay. let me finish who's going to come on. Okay. And there's a new canine sleep study. And we're going to find out more about that and what it reveals about dogs. So why don't you thank our guests? Because we had some great guests on the show. We today. had some great guests, and I want to give special thanks to those guests: Dr. Angela Perry, Dr. Kevin Tyler, Dr. Kok Van Osterhout, and Dr. Masayo Miyazaki. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors: the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin-coated ear care products for healthier pets everywhere you know you can go to epipet that's epi hyphen pet check out the wonderful shampoos you can go check out the sunscreen because the sun is going to come out soon sooner or later even if you're living up in uh, colorado where it's cold and there's lots of snow you get that reflection and people are starting to recognize the importance of it because we had a volume increase hundredfold wow last year pet. in sales pretty so amazing we well, know anyway, that if you put in the pet buzz code you can get a 25 percent discount on epi pet products and we totally encourage you to try them i actually use them on myself absolutely yeah okay they're well the crossover so if you have a question write us at team at petbuzz.com We'll cover it next week on the show. Yeah, and you can sign up for our newsletter at newsletter mm. at thepetbuzz.com. But here's the deal. If you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels, as well as listen to your favorite streaming channel and listen to the linked podcast on Monday morning. And most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets. Peace out and pet, pet love. love. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.